0: What's up, everyone? Welcome to the My Favorite Horror Movie Podcast. I'm your host, Christian Ackerman. Uh, We have a great show for you today. We start off with actor and filmmaker Matt Mercer and find out what the latest is going on in his life. Uh, Then we bring in a second co-host, Sean Decker, to discuss the newly remastered Scream Factory Blu-ray with six and a half hours of bonus materials for 2009's The Hills Run Red with the director, Dave Parker. Uh, before we begin, uh, I'd like to let you all know that in the spirit of the civil rights movement that's happening as we speak, uh, we're getting a bunch of the, the 150 horror, uh, my favorite horror movie contributors of the trilogy together for a charity signing to benefit Black Lives Matter Los Angeles. If you can't join a demonstration in your area or you haven't been able to yet, uh, what, you know, there's COVID and all that, you know, there's a million reasons maybe why you can't go out, uh, but if you do want to take part in it, um, we're selling the books for $25 each, uh, includes free shipping, um, and, and, and I'm having the, the contributors all throw in goodies, uh, from their repertoire of work, uh, and whatever else they have laying around the house. So you're going to get some sort of goodies, uh, on top of having a signed book from as many people as are, are able to come out to the signing uh, next weekend. Uh, It's not going to be a public event, but it's going to be a very COVID safe. uh, Come in, sign the books and and run out. So if you want more information on who's going to be signing and what kind of goodies are, are going to be possibly thrown into your, uh, to your box, uh, go to myfavoritehorrormovie.com and check that out. And um, uh, it, it'll it'll it goes to uh, all the proceeds are going to go to Black Lives Matter LA, so it's going to be a good uh, a, a good way to contribute to a good cause. So, all right, so it is time to get into it with Matt Mercer, Sean Decker, Dave Parker, in celebration of the Hills Run Red. Let's do it. All right, our first guest is an actor, director, and producer. Uh, his projects include Arc arctic not arctic dementia part two bliss beyond the gates all the creatures were stirring and contracted one and two welcome matt mercer what's up matt
1: (laughs) what's going on christian how's how's it going it's good to see you Uh,
0: it's going all right man i'm uh i i think we're getting out of this whole uh uh, quarantine stuff, aren't we?
1: It seems that way. I mean, getting getting there. I mean, I, it, it's hard to tell what's going to happen here. I know with the the protests and everything happening lately, it seems like cases are sort of on the rise again. But mm-hmm. uh, here in LA, they are obviously reopening a lot of things this weekend. They're reopening gyms, restaurants, uh, entertainment venues. So I guess we'll see what happens. Uh, it makes me a little nervous, but <laughs> yeah. we'll see what happens. Uh, I, I don't, don't know. know if I'm going to be going anywhere.
2: Um, uh, yeah, I
0: think I'm going to kind of try to stay in as much as possible still. And, uh, yeah. I, you know, but I did do I did go out and do some uh, protesting and documenting uh. of the protests and uh, the aftermath of um, all of the, the kind of the rioting that happened
1: on, uh, on Fairfax and Melrose. Uh, same. That's actually where I was. I did the I was at the first Pan Pacific, the first protest at Pan Pacific and then really some, some cleanup after that. And yeah, yeah. Uh, and yeah, it's uh it's pretty amazing what's going on
0: right now. Yeah, so yeah, so, I, since I uh, did not go to that first, that it was a last s- Saturday or two Saturdays ago, right? Yeah, is that when it That's was. Right. So, um, and then I went out to Melrose on that Sunday, uh, <clears throat> and I ended up uh, kind of t- documenting. It was like the first time we were starting to see the 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 boards going up and all of that, at least mm. on my end. Uh, and so I was documenting that, documenting all the tagging that you know people were doing on buildings and. Ended up uh, kind of just taking photos of this one storefront and one of the glass windows had shattered and Brooke came down mm-hmm. and I ended up helping the guy uh, with his glass and just hung out with him for the next seven hours. And he had stayed there that night and kind of had fought off oh, of wow. uh, looters uh, and so kind of heard his story and kind of tried to figure out what how to help him make sure that he's fortified for the next night, just in case uh, something did happen again. But the, by that time they already had
1: military people to, you know, to watch yeah, over think, that street. Yeah. I think at the, it was the, in that particular area, the first, the, so like around the Grove and like third and Fairfax, the only day where there was spray painting, graffiti, and any kind of distru- or looting or destruction was uh, that first one. And, mm-hmm. You know, most of these protests have been very peaceful and ordered, yep. and you would never know that from <laughs> what the media is showing half the time. Yeah, for sure. Uh, but, but I, next, although yeah, tell I, tell me think, about that day. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I went early that day, and it was um, very orderly and very peaceful. And I, I left before uh, there were cars on fire and things like that. But yeah. Um, you know, I think uh, what I was going to say before is <clears throat> I think the media coverage is important and. It's really important that everyone who's going to these protests are taking videos too, because that's where we've gotten to see a lot of the, the police violence against the protesters. That's just completely unmerited. Um, so, I think all that is is really important. Um, you know, it works both ways. Some some of the time, though, the media has been just showing a lot of the the looting and not showing a lot of the positivity that's been happening. So, mm-hmm. um, but I think overall, these protests are fantastic, and I really am it's great that they're continuing like every day there's there's something going on uh there's one this weekend starting at hollywood and highland that i'm gonna go to so
0: oh okay that's great uh, maybe we can uh uh, see each other at that point yeah uh, Yeah. right down the street so that's saturday then yeah that's starting on
1: saturday i can send you the the info
0: okay cool yeah and i think uh pride in west hollywood is happening sunday i think
1: uh i think so yeah
0: Okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna look into not, that. Not a but, uh, if you're in L.A., uh, you know, look at look look up that stuff and make sure to join. And uh, I, I, I tried to do a couple of different um, uh, areas. Uh, so like this past Saturday, I went downtown L.A. and mm-hmm. uh, and I saw cops lining up to like push people away. You know, there wasn't uh, anything physical I didn't see, but um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it, it was kind of a free for all. Like, it was a lot less because I went. I saw, I recorded some looting on the, the Monday or Sunday after the Melrose oh, really? ones, or uh-huh. the, yeah, it was two days after that. Um, and it's a, and that was like, it was fairly intense and you know, cops getting close, but I, I didn't see any cop violence. Uh, just, I just saw looters right. and then protesters stopping looters, <clears> which was <throat> uh, really impressive.
1: Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's unfortunate. It's that some people are, taking advantage of some of these protests that start very peacefully but yeah you know get a mixed bag of people out there
0: yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah i mean to take advantage of it i guess uh, that's how yeah. they're how they're seeing it and um it's it's putting a bad light on 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 what the good is is happening in the whole situation so yeah
1: which is and and which is mostly what it is is this is mostly an incredibly positive thing that's happening and i think mm-hmm. it's i think you know, more than ever right now, we're seeing a lot of people wake up to systemic racism, and it's it's important. Yeah,
0: yeah To to learn, yeah. open your ears and learn, and hear from other people that aren't that don't look like you.
1: A hundred percent. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. What? Yeah. Yeah, well, uh, uh, hmm? Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was just say I just want to say thanks for having me on. Not to <laughs> abruptly shift the the topic, but oh. thanks for having me on as your co host, and uh, I'm really excited to talk about The Hills Run Red later on. This yeah, is really exciting yeah, and
0: so and what what have you? and I, I assume you're a fan of the Hills Run Red, then I am. i
1: I, I did I really liked it uh, when it came out. and i uh, I like you know Dave's a friend of mine, obviously, mm-hmm. and I, I love the movie, but I hadn't seen it in a while. And mm-hmm. revisiting it, i rewatched it last night and revisiting it, I uh, was really fun. And I forgot what a like big movie it is, especially considering like it's it's a, such a simple concept that's really well executed and it's a big movie and i was like oh there's like helicopter shots and and there's a couple of uh jump scares in it that legitimately scared me oh yeah which i will get to when we talk about it we have to talk about that now i'll save it but there's a couple things in it that are just dynamite you know been very atmospheric
0: yeah i hadn't seen it uh since it came out as well so i watched it last night myself to kind of reacquaint myself so yeah Uh, 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 so before we jump in with those guys, uh, I I know you yeah. had directed a music video recently. Uh, uh, what was that? Uh, what was the band? And uh, tell me about that. I, I know yeah. I saw it. It was great. Oh, thank you. Thanks for watching it. Two yeah, months ago,
1: whenever it came out or like recently, it was about a month or two ago, right? Yeah, I want to say it was a month and a half, two months yeah. ago. got it right before quarantine started, and it's been hard to to find stuff to do. I mean, lately I've just been kind of jobbing because of the situation right now it's hard to find work and i've been taking whatever i can get like right now i'm just like editing casting reels for a reality show but um yeah the the last project i did uh i hadn't gotten behind the camera since dementia 2 which was a couple of years ago and i was just champing at the bit to make make something and a friend of mine uh, ben wise is the artist and um he was he had a new album coming out and uh, he's done me massive favors in the past. He's written a couple of songs to work as source cues in films I've made. Actually, one of them isn't even a source cue. In a short I made called Feeding Time, he did, like, the closing credits song that is is—it's just yeah. absolutely dynamite. And um, I always told him, you know, if, one day I i directed a music video for another band he was in a long time ago. And I, and I said, if there's another instance I can do this, I would love to. Uh-huh. So, sort of toward the end of last year, he asked me if I wanted to make a video for one of the songs in the album, and he picked this song called "Rack and Ruin," which is a super cool song. It's got kind of a, I mean, you listen to it; it has kind of an eighties, yeah. early nineties rock vibe to it, um, with kind of a Phil Collins sort of beat. Um, yeah. And it's 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 uh and and uh, the original. I was excited, I was like, yeah, I'd love to do it because I'm just I just want to make something. Mm-hmm. And the COVID thing had just started, and I was when we were starting to put it together and I was like gosh we got to do this we got to do this now Um, (laughs) we're we're going to be on lockdown soon and I had also the original concept we'd been tossing Ben and I had been tossing around concepts and I wanted to make sure he was going to be happy with it because it's his song and I wanted it to represent the song Mm. and the first concept was this like epic sci-fi sort of concept where some of it would shoot in the desert and some of it was on a beach and it was just it was too much and then on top of that when he kind of told me what the budget was that he had you know things are always things always end up tighter and smaller than you think they're going to be and this was like you know we just had very little to work with and i was like all right how can i take the sort of uh broader idea i had and consolidate it into a room with one person and so that's what ended up being went from this sci-fi epic to this sort of uh 70s paranoid thriller is kind of what i went for Uh um watched like the conversation some of those films like that from the 70s and basically this room that I'm in now, is just my home office. I just got a bunch of old tape recorders and different equipment and just tried to decorate it like a surveillance uh, room. Yes. <laughs> like,
0: yeah, I, would I remember have... there's TVs and stuff in it, right? Some some strange things going on with TVs. Uh, yeah,
1: yeah. There's, yeah. there's the surveillance t- monitors and a couple of yeah. old recorders from the 60s, including a beautiful old uh, Nagra that my friend Brian let me borrow. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh, that thing was gorgeous and worked it was amazing in fact it had a something recorded on it. what was it like an old led zeppelin recording on it or something on the uh. tape that was on it but anyway um uh yeah we, i just made a two dollar set here in my office and we mm-hmm. just kind of and and i i did a quick beat sheet of different different ideas and uh my friend i was like who's a someone we can kind of make look hack gene hackman-esque like in the conversation and my uh, yeah nick bush who's a yeah He's uh, one of the best actors I know, and we threw a fake mustache on him and just started running around this room, shooting it from every <laughs> angle we could. And, you know, it's tough to make something in a room feel not repetitive, but uh, I think we did okay. You know, it, yeah. it's a fun, a fun video, and I'm, I'm proud of it. So that was the last thing I made. And otherwise, I've just been editing, doing, taking whatever editing jobs I can get and writing, and uh, the only other thing I have on the horizon is my – my buddy, Mike Teston, who co-directed Dementia 2 with me, oh yeah, uh, he directed a movie called Browse, which is coming out July 7th. And I have a small role in that
2: mm-hmm. where I get
1: to I get to tell off uh, uh, or not tell off, but I get to be an asshole to Lucas Haas, <laughs> oh, <laughs> so nice. fun scene, which I was so nervous about because I, like, oh, I, I grew up loving Lucas Haas. I was like, oh, I got to be an asshole to Lucas Haas. This will be fun. Yeah, that's, that's was, what it's all about yeah Being an actor and living out yeah. your fantasies of, of
0: even if they aren't fantasies you know
1: right <laughs> that was not it wasn't a fan i was actually really nervous because like, he's a super nice guy and a great actor and i remember our first take i was like oh, i can't remember my lines because i have to be mean to lucas haas
0: <laughs> but it was fun it was really fun yeah so uh all right let's uh let's bring in uh, uh dave and sean and uh we'll go be right back all right we are back in uh we're bringing in our our second co-host for the day uh you all know him as the editor-in-chief of the official halloween movies website it is sean decker what's up sean
2: hey chris hey. how you guys doing today and look, uh look, oh go ahead sean what were you saying uh, i'm stuck, you know chris is just my personal pr person um,
0: <laughs> yeah yeah i'm here i'm here it's he, a, gets,
2: it's a he little... gets about a five dollar stipend a month that's it that's all i can afford <laughs>
0: Uh, all right. So, and then our, our guest of honor today, uh, we we all saw him burst onto the scene, uh, I think in uh, thousand or so, with the full moon feature, The Dead Hate the Living, which uh, I love. And I'm sure if you've ever seen it, you love as well. Uh, he uh, eventually went on to direct the Sweet Tooth episode of Tales from Halloween uh, and a, the experimental thriller It Watches. Right now we are celebrating the Blu-ray release of his badass movie that came out 2008 or nine or so, uh, <laughs> The Hills Run Red, Run uh, red. So the first time it's on Blu-ray, and so welcome Dave Parker. What's up, guys? Hey, Dave. Hey. How are you doing, buddy?
3: Good. Good to see Woo. everyone. Good to see everyone. It's been too long.
0: Yeah, so we have two guys here that like Halloween, and one guy that likes uh, or favorite horror movies, is Halloween, and uh, Dave is Creepshow. Um, so That's it's,
2: it's, we have the, the Halloween of, of battle today. Um. <laughs> for, you know, for, I'm like, first, first off and, you know, the, not to be sound all pedantic or whatever. And like, Oh, Dave, I love you. But you know, I do as a friend. Yeah. Um, but I love this movie. I, the hills run red. Um, I, you know, when this, this movie came out in 2009, I was literally blown away by it. I'm obviously, we're all friends. Scow, you, um but that's the subversive nature that the two of you brought to this this picture. Um I actually loved and I never I I mean, you know, I've always been kind of like her- like shepherding this movie, like, oh my god, sure. the hairs run red. You know, it's like one of the, my favorite slasher films ever made. Um and also I think one of the most underrated slasher films ever made. So for to to be able to see it getting a, a new life on on Blu-ray with all these extras, um, I, I'm super excited for.
3: No one was more really kind of shocked than than I was that they were actually going to do it because I just I just never thought that it was going to happen and I, I didn't expect Scream Factory to be the one I figured maybe at best you know Warner Archive would just throw it out on Blu-rays like an on-demand make Blu-ray or something but to be able to to get the opportunity to do this and put so many extra features on it um, and kind of be like the final word on the movie I think at least. At least in physical media form since that's all sort of changing um right that's been really great i mean it's i mean it's 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 um it is a more packed collector's edition that is not a collector's edition than most of their collector's editions so wow. you know
0: it, it's and so is this a new
3: transfer is it, it it's stuff a, it, yeah it's an it's an hd transfer uh of the movie uh coming from the digital realm because it they never made a print of the movie, yes. even though we shot on 35, but there was never a print made. So it's, oh. a di- yeah, first time on Blu-ray, digital transfer, six and a half hours of extra features, most of which have never been seen before or wow. heard before. Cause we, we have two new commentaries, one with uh, Patrick Bromley who, uh works on DailyDead.com and does uh f this movie that podcast and he uh, yeah. he like Sean has been a big um champion in the movie since it came out which has always been very flattering so I thought it would be really cool to have him do one and then I did one uh because they were nice enough uh with Adam Green and Joe Lynch just to uh <laughs> just to stack it more in the favor of like hey if people like them they can, Listen to them talk about this movie. So, so those are the two new commentaries. Then there is the original commentary, which is me, David Scow wrote the movie, and Robert Burnett, who was the producer.
0: Okay, and and Sean, so, you were involved in helping with the with some of the behind the scenes, the recent ones, then, right?
2: it's another one of those crazy things with 2020, which that's a whole another discussion. But you know, right before we went into lockdown, um, Dave had had reached out to me and asked if I wanted to um, do interviews for the new extras um some of the new extras on the disc so i was i was lucky enough and thank you dave such an enjoyable day uh, to just get together with you and scow and, and talk about this this film and uh you know its evolution and its place in the slasher you know subgenre uh, which we did at Arescope actually and we also talked to uh eric olson one of the producers on this movie and uh and um, Freddie oh, E uh, Fre- 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 Frederick Weidman, yeah.
3: Frederick Eden, the composer.
2: The the composer. Um and it was a, a really god, that was a that was just such an enjoyable day. And it's it's it seems, it seems strangely so long ago now. Um when it, was it really like wasn't.
3: A, it was like a week or so before the lockdown that we shot. Uh, yeah. us. It
2: was crazy. It was, it was, it, was. It, was it,
3: it was nuts. Um and that's the thing, when um so the disc itself has uh it has ten featurettes that featurettes that range from anywhere from eleven to almost twenty minutes that Robert Burnett did, and those That's were right. all from stuff that was shot when we made the movie ten years okay. ten eleven years ago, okay. and the interviews were done then. The thing was, I was never interviewed because I was busy directing the movie. I mean, yeah. I'm on, I'm on it, but I never sat down and did a sit down interview about the movie scow didn't freddie didn't so anything that happened postwise was never covered uh, so so rob took care of those 10 and then i did and the ones that sean was the interview on was an additional three which was me and david scow together talking about the creation of the movie and how we met and how we got together and everything about it Eric Olson, who was the our executive producer from our main executive producer from Dark Castle Entertainment, and then the composer, Freddie. So it's so so that alone is 13 featurettes that are I got to say. I come, you know, I come from this editing world. I'm an editor most of the time, and I've done a Mm -hmm. lot of these documentaries and and either retrospectives for screen factory and for a bunch of other movies these you know these are not just uh here's the interview and here's a card with the question coming up these are properly edited documentary featurettes so and 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 we cover and deal with like i said before it's really kind of the final word on this we cover Anything you could possibly want to know?
2: We went, you... Yeah, it was it was a deep dive in regards to our conversations, which was you know for me really really fun because I you know I've obviously known Dave and and Parker for a, like Scow and Parker for a long time the two Daves yeah, not to be confused Dave and Dave yeah and I, you know and and me being a fan of the movie have talked with you know both of them. Um, at length, just you know, in 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 private conversations. But for me, even as an interviewer on these extras, um I found out a whole lot of stuff I didn't know about the making of this film. Um, so it was just like super entertaining, you know, for me personally to uh, be able to conduct those interviews. Um so I can't wait. I mean, I haven't Dave, thank you. It was very kind of you. actually brought me a blu ray of Hills Run Red like two days ago, and I, I haven't had a chance to watch the extras as of yet, or or the uh, the tr- the new transfer. So I'm I'm looking forward to jumping in on that. And,
0: and it and it comes out this Tuesday if anybody's it, you know, I, I don't know if I mentioned that before, but I'll mention it in the beginning. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Tuesday Tuesday June 16th. Yeah. Yeah, and so, uh, so, so I but before you get to it, I don't want to have you go too in depth on this okay. uh, because we want people to buy the disc and get the real story, but uh, just give me a, a bit of the genesis. This was probably about 2006 or so that you started this project? Yeah, uh,
3: I I was working with Robert Burnett at his company Ludovico
0: Technique and doing behind the scenes, right? Yeah, we were
3: working yeah. on uh, the Chronicles of Narnia, the Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, and Superman Returns at the time. Um, around around that time, 2004 into 2005 into 2006, where this company on the New York Fever Dreams came out to the West Coast. They had done a couple movies on the East Coast. They wanted to meet with some directors on the West Coast. They had these two projects, these two scripts. They had The Hills Run Red, and they had this movie, Wicked Lake, which oh, also yeah. star- which stars Sean's friend, Carly Baker. Yes. Um. So <clears throat> they met with a bunch of people. Uh, most of them turned them down and said, you should talk to Dave, because he'd probably direct anything right about now because <laughs> uh, you <know>, so, <clears throat> it'd been it'd been about i mean six years since the dead hate the living so yeah. um so we read the scripts the, the hills run red script was it was, was a completely different beast than it is now um but it had the uh the slasher character element in it and i just took to it because I like that fact. Wicked Lake for me was a little too uh the script was a little too ugly. I think it plays a little more fun than mm-hmm. I think the script read. So I wasn't really into that one. So mm-hmm. we made our presentation. I had uh this artist Michael Broom, really talented artist do my version of what Babyface looked like and my concept of this stuff. Had notes on the script, did a presentation, and uh, they went with us and allowed us to bring in Dave Scow, who's been a, a friend for a very long time, uh, to rewrite the script and let us rewrite it from page one. I mean, okay. they wow. they only had a couple things that they wanted in there. They had they had that they wanted it to be about this lost movie. They wanted the baby face killer, um, you know, and sort of the setting. So the the sort of movie world type stuff they 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 wanted in it i was a little worried about that because my first one dealt with a lot of like sort of in movie stuff and i wanted to avoid that as much as possible but you know once we got david scow involved it was just sort of let him run free and go do what he wanted because we knew we knew it was going to be um more to our liking than the original script was, so that's yeah, that's how it started, and then it was a progression of things, to then get us to Warner Brothers. But all that stuff is covered in in the retrospective, uh, in on all the docs. You'll you'll get variations on that story. So,
0: yeah, that's interesting. I, I was watching uh, before I went to bed. I saw about half of uh, Dead Hate the Living. I hadn't seen it in maybe five, ten years or so, and yeah, I was re- realizing the parallels between the two. Uh, with all the the inside film jokes and just really it fun una- stuff. It,
3: yeah, it was una- it was definitely unintentional, and for my part, I wanted to stray away from a lot of that because I mean, people like to hate the living. Uh, I'm hot and cold on it. It de- it depends on the on the day. Um, yeah. There's some really there's some stuff that I really like about it. I like. I thought Tom Calloway as the the director of photography gave a very low budget movie a pretty good look. I thought yeah. the the, oh, yeah, the sure. I thought the zombies. Yeah, were very, I thought the that Tom Supernot did the, and the zombies were really were cool and different because they weren't just sort of generic zombies all around. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, uh, the the whole film thing. It's just like. It's tricky, and it was one of those things that I was concerned with with uh, with Hills, because I didn't want to feel like I was just diving into the same yeah. thing. Um,
2: yeah. yeah. You weren't, though. I mean, it's got such a unique vibe to it, and I'm, the, I mean, the exciting thing about this re-release is, uh, more than likely a lot of people have not seen this film, because it hasn't been available really digitally. Um, and you're taking a film that's, in my estimation, like, on a meta level, on, uh, like, a redefinition of the slasher genre and and taking it in a completely different direction i mean it's up there for me with scream to be honest um in a way more dark way more subversive manner which uh given the fact that you know you and and scow had everything to do with it is not surprising to me (laughs) at all Um, you know and i think the movie it it, there's a lot of there's a lot of gut punches in it i mean i think any horror fan out there is Mm going to be really really excited um, not only about the narrative, but you know, even the, the the practical effects are are just insane. I mean, this movie Sick. is very, insane. very, <laughs> <Yeah>. red. <laughs> very red, very <laughs> red.
3: I mean, I'll say this: I think you know what you're getting into from the opening credits. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, you do. You, yeah. you
1: really do set the tone. And I I had watched it in a while, and I was saying to you before, like the jump scares i got i jumped twice during it the um i don't give anything away but the, there's there's uh no well, I, I don't want to give it away there's, there's ah, two. i'm not gonna okay, give okay. it that's there's good. two jump scares that really yeah. got me that's <laughs> awesome. it's very effective and uh and yeah it looks beautiful
3: the weird thing is and i don't know if any of you have actually gotten to experience it yet but looking back on a movie that you made 10 years ago one you're hopefully and i am a completely different person than i was there even sensibilities and experiences and everything else um it's it's uh it's a very strange thing to really go back and reflect (laughs) reflect intensively on something that you've done um especially for people who haven't seen the movie um and that's one of the exci- i mean, that's one of the exciting things. I, you know, like I say, I said in the document in one of the documentaries, for the people who don't like the movie, I don't think it's going to change their mind. Um, but it at least will give thanks to Scream Factory and their presence and 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 affection from genre fans. It will give people who just look at the cover and go, "Oh, it's a Hills Have Eyes ripoff," a chance to decide for themselves in the best way possible. Mm-hmm. Um, So that part's really, that part's really exciting. Um, And then I was just going to say, you know, going back to the the opening, that um, it was just sort of an idea. It was never scripted as the opening of it for the credits and everything. And I was just like, well, we should, we've got this footage. Let's do this. This will grab them. With all the sort of ratings things that we had against us with this movie, not even by the MPAA, not by the ratings board. I was shocked that they let us keep that. I really was, but I'm really happy for it. Cause in some ways it's, well, I mean, here's the thing. It's not like, uh, you know, Oh, I'm such a genius. It's the crow just done bloody. That scene is, I mean, Sean, you know, there are shots. Right. No, are I, know shots.
2: Exactly, I know exactly. I know exactly what you're talking about. Um, and, and again, you know, for, any horror fan out there that's you know not looking to look, I'm not going to throw movies under the bus. I'm, I'm sure we all like. I know what you did last summer in some way or some shape, but this is not that film. Um, this is this is an actual hard R movie, um, and hard R for a lot of the narrative elements in it, not just the gore. Um, it's a smart yeah. film, uh, which is one of the things that I really really like about it. And 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 you know the the fan base certainly has. Even though we haven't seen a re-release of this film in a in a in a larger format in some time, um, it's developed a cult following. I mean, you've got you've got custom like one six scale model builders out there that are you know selling kits for like twelve hundred dollars a piece. No, um, it's amazing. Yeah. And and they're and they're they're and I'm not going to say they're cranking out baby face characters. You know, those are mm-hmm. like those those runs are super limited. But people like <clears throat> recognize and respect and respond to. Um, that character, know, that, right? that character especially yeah. that
0: character yeah have you ever seen anyone uh co- like cosplay it or or I've it seen for halloween
3: people, i've seen people who've sent me photos that they've gone to conventions and cosplayed as babyface and they're really elaborate and and you go on ebay and uh people are replicating the necklace with the rattle the rattle was a real specific thing that we found just in bulgaria it was a really unusual and they they've recreated and made those for sale for people. And so it, yeah, it's uh, I mean, that part of it's hugely flattering. And I think, again, I think the character has lasted and uh, in people's minds more than the movie has, you know, in a, in a way, which is which is it's an interesting thing. I mean, I, I, I but again, that's that that care, the 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 killer baby face that was that was my jumping off point that was my in into the movie and what I got Mm. excited about and the interesting thing is and not to dissuade anyone from watching it but it's really not a it's not what you would call a slasher movie in in the the execution or structure that a slasher movie normally has I think it's got in some ways more of a kinship you know to Texas Chainsaw Massacre in Texas Chainsaw You know, if Leatherface is a slasher, then Babyface is a slasher. But it's not like they are stalking individuals and then killing them. It's yeah. like wholesale mass slaughter for these guys.
2: Well, right. uh, yeah, I mean, you you, you both turned, took these tropes and turned them upside down. And there's one moment in the film, which I'm not going to spoil, that still <laughs> is just like the what the f- moment. I mean, to the point where you you kind of catch your breath and your blood runs really cold. And mm. when you see it, you'll know it. It's it's yeah. great.
3: That was a nice thing because I always, I always knew from the moment that uh, Scow wrote that scene exactly how it should play and that it was going to work. And it's always nice when you know that and it actually is that you're right about it because there are so many things that you feel in your gut that – don't land with an audience for one reason or another, but that one, that one always, that moment, always sticks with people, which we aren't saying here. But watch the <laughs> movie, watch the movie, and and watch you'll know it, and you'll know it. Yeah. yeah.
0: And so, so being a fan of uh of the de- Dead Hate the Living, once I saw this film back in two thousand and eight uh, when it came out. Um, nine. I, and see, oh nine, nine two <laughs> thousand. Oh, okay, made, yeah. made in two thousand nine. Okay, uh, no, two thousand and eight came out two thousand nine. Shot, yeah, exactly. Shot yeah, two thousand eight. Let's let's say,
2: let's say, this, let's take that back and start over with that, Chris. I didn't mean to yeah. skip
0: on you. Well the copy the copyright uh, I, I noticed earlier was I think it yeah. said two thousand eight somewhere. Um but so it seeing it again last night, it looks like it was a, a like a, a really well – a knowledgeable director who finally got to play with the with the toys in the sandbox that you always dream of so going back to like your you know your first film you have it's a full moon film you have a lot of uh, static shots because you have to move fast you don't have a lot of time you probably had less than 10 days to shoot it you know uh, and this time around like seeing the the advancement of that uh, of of and now you have a little a lot more to play with uh, what was it that like really gave you a, a really good education from that point to that point Was it being behind the scenes on all these huge movies and seeing all the toys that they played with and watching those directors you know uh, kind of discuss that that progression of of how how badass you you became on that second film?
3: well the thing <clears throat> the thing is when you're working on these budgets and they're low comparatively to what big movies are of course Mm -hmm. um so you're always trying to do your best and everything uh with that um you hit the nail on the head after i did dead hate the living and then i didn't direct for a while i ended up doing a lot of behind the scenes features for big movies we did the usual suspects we did the x-men films we did superman i did spider-man 2 I did Kingdom of Heaven. So Uh, I feel like what happened was I went to graduate school in a way, got paid to do it, and my professors were Sam Raimi, Ridley Scott, Andrew Adamson, uh, Brian Singer, uh, these guys who were really at the top of their game and working on massive budgets. I mean, to be able to sit there on a set, very fortunate for me, of a $200 million movie and see how it goes down and see what the director does and realize that, oh, it's really not that different budget. Budget wise, the director is doing the same thing. It's just they've got more time, more money, more toys. So the lower the budget, the more inventive you have to be. And sometimes that works. Sometimes it doesn't, because sometimes you have people who won't let you do certain things. Um Or like, oh, if you set up to move the camera, that's going to take too long. you got to move forward and stuff like that. And and that's when your skills uh, in negotiation and bartering come into play. To try to get as much as you can, you're not going to get everything that you want, but hopefully enough. But, you know, in the end, even if you have that footage... Uh, when you're working for a studio, especially, well, it's not just like, oh, okay, well, then go cut the movie. You know what you're doing. You're an editor. No, they give you an editor, and if you have the wrong editor, the stuff will just lay there. There's no yeah. life to it. You get mm-hmm. the right. You get the right people to support you in everything. And sometimes that's people that you choose. Sometimes it's people that the studio is comfortable with. You get lucky. Uh, but yeah. it's always it's always uh, that's the, the the reality is unless you you really are doing it in an auteurist way, which you know you know Matt, you can probably talk to a little bit about because the way Joe has worked on his films and stuff, it's it, it seems like he's got a lot of creative control when he's doing this. Potentially more so than if I you know when I'm working for a studio, so those battles might be easier to to win but you know again yeah. rarely have I rarely have I heard anyone who says yeah I got absolutely everything I wanted I had all mm-hmm. the time in the world and this is exactly the way I wanted the movie it's perfect there's always stuff you want to change
1: yeah of course of course yeah I feel like you, you, that's exactly it. It, it it changes with budgets for sure in I mean in the case of people I've Produced for like Joe, or when I'm directing, it's always been very, very low <laughs> or micro. And you do have more leeway, you know, I think, and and creative control and control over the time being spent on a given setup or set piece or whatever. You
3: know? right. Uh, but I will say I will say this, you know, to Matt's defense, <clears throat> um, sometimes having the lower budget, less crew and everything really allows you to to. to really shine and be creative and his movie which still hasn't come out yet which i think is a huge crime (laughs) which is dementia part two which i think is like this really unsung gem that people have not gotten to see and once that comes out and you fill in people on how it was made
1: Mm -hmm.
3: i think they're
0: going to be absolutely blown away
1: yeah Uh, well thanks yeah i mean there's no
0: release on it yet then matt huh
1: no there's we're still talking to some people uh you know i I, the the initial sort of push to get it released was uh tough because people it's it's a very short feature and it's black and white and it's a horror comedy so you just throw all these things those things together and i think even some of the bigger small genre label distributors are maybe frightened maybe frightened of it is too strong a word but nervous about that and there's there's somebody looking at it now though but but to get back to the point and and relate it to what you're talking about, Dave, yeah, it's we did have freedom there, but it, it's it, it's a trade off. It's like less money means less time, and you're sort of always looking at the clock yourself. You're almost your own ad. Everyone's an ad on a really small mm-hmm. movie like that because you're like, oh, yep. we got to get this shit done. Um, but then you know more money can mean can mean a little more time but then you're you also have a lot of people you're contending with then, and more time gets put into people so it's a trade-off and I I have yet to um whether I've been producing for another director like Joe or whether I have been doing my own thing you know like I did with Mike on Dementia 2 there's never a perfect scenario (laughs) you're just like uh there's got to be you know a way to my preference if I had to state it would be Having more control, you know, and the smaller, yeah.
2: Bunch. Well, I mean, I think I think sometimes the a really you know a small budget and a small crew. Well, to your point, yeah, you're always racing the clock. There's yeah. almost more of a like kind of a jazz uh, approach to it, you know, totally. because you don't have you don't have a hundred people breathing down your back going, okay, that shot's done, moving on. You're like, but wait, what if we did it this way? You know, and I think people are more um, apt to respond favorably to that, but yeah, I mean, it's con- controlled chaos any way you look at, it, not it?
3: Yeah, yeah, I think that I think the thing is too. sorry to interrupt. Um, no, 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 I think no. I think when you know, in in the independent world as opposed to working with a studio, regardless of what the budget is, um, you have that control factor is a thing. It's just you have less people to answer to. And it does yeah, mm-hmm. allow you it allows you to try something very quickly. And I think because of the the nature of those schedules, you have to, you know, you, people look to you more and what your gut is, if it's good and or not, instead of, well, let's debate this and let's talk about it. And then you suck the life out of it and it's time to move on because they've <laughs> talked it to death. And that's the thing too. The more producers you have and stuff like that, the, the more agendas they have that might not be in sync with the movie you're trying to make
1: yeah right Right. that's so true yeah and these days even small movies have i mean 20 25 producers and and it's like okay that's great you all have ideas but we have no time
3: it's like it's it's like we're making a million dollar movie you you know, someone sing someone like I'll sink in ten grand. Oh, but I gotta say now and yeah. oh <laughs> oh I, I and you know, I want to cameo in the movie now. I mean, there are literally productions that are fucking funding their movies through Indiegogo yep. by selling off roles to unprofessionals. Yeah. To me, uh you know, it's fine, mm-hmm. but that's not the way to make a movie. And you are you are compromised from the get go right there.
1: Yeah, yeah I, it, it seems like the best scenario is not doing that. And also, well, I really like what Sean said about the sort of improvisate jazz. The jazz analogy is really, that's so true when you have to work against the clock on a micro budget movie. And, but what really seems to work, the perfect cocktail is like, even if you don't have a lot of pre-production time, plan every single thing you possibly can. And I know Mm -hmm. some people don't, some directors don't like to do that. They like to get in and really like, feel things out but the for me it's always seemed the case that if you the more you plan and really figure out all those little things when you do have to improvise quickly and move like a jazz musician it's still going to feel l- l- like you aesthetically l- aesthetically like you want you know I, it's still going to be in that wheelhouse right 100 percent agree um yeah like Hills Run Red was a
3: situation where I planned and I did storyboards and everything else, but you know, by the time yeah. we actually got to shoot,
1: none of those things were worth <laughs> anything. They weren't. Yeah. So like. Yeah. But but it, but it feels it feels one of the things I was going to say earlier is it feels one of a whole like aesthetically it all feels very uh, smooth. You know. Yeah.
3: Thank you. Um. But with with Tales of Halloween, I mm. my DP and I planned everything. We knew where the location was. We we had it all down pat so when you inevitably run out of time to do certain things, you can look at it, change it very quickly, and and then adapt. And that to me, that's why I like the, the to me, the more planning you have, the more you have figured out before you shoot, the easier it is to adapt when things go wrong.
0: that's that's how you become a good producer that's how you become a good filmmaker is is learning learning how to you you make the mistakes early on and then uh, a good producer is going to be the one that anticipates all of the problems before they become a problem and that's that that is when you start becoming a good producer and you may never become that, even if you make a million movies. But it, it's it's always an ongoing process because there's so many different kinds of issues that can come up on a film. Well, per, perfect example.
3: And I'm sure you've dealt with this, Christian. And you as the producer, the director could be, be super prepared or something. But you might have something like, uh, look, uh, this actor needs to get out of here. So you're going to have to shoot him out. And he was like going, but I'm all set up to do this. It's like, no change the whole lighting and where you're shooting now so we can shoot this actor out. And it, (laughs) it totally messes up the director's plan and then they have to give up something, but it's like,
0: sometimes that's what you have to do. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes you might get some magic out of that or some, yeah, but yeah, usually how you anticipate that is making sure that the actor is completely scheduled for that day. And if they have an issue, they better tell you immediately before, you know, immediately when they learn about it. So and then you try to work with them to see if you can juggle the schedule. And if you can't, then you got to keep them on set and tell them they can't do whatever they need to do.
3: I mean, yeah. bottom line is, as the director, especially, you just got to keep people moving. Yeah. If, they, if, they, if they see you stop and, like, go – if they lose confidence that you have a handle on things, no matter how chaotic it seems, mm-hmm. that's yes. the death. That's the death. If you lose your crew and their confidence in you and what you're doing, mm-hmm. then. It's it's
1: really tough.
0: And no yeah, one's going to care. No one's going to give their passion. No one's going to strive and drive to get things done quickly and, and with passion. So. Yeah.
1: yeah, it's it's in that moment where you realize that the actor's got to leave and you're going to have to turn around to get them. And it's going to be a 45-minute lighting setup. And then you got to go back to the other one. You're like, uh-huh. like you have you that kill, You killed hours, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and you have that moment where you're like, oh, you just want to scream. or You want to be like, oh, no. But you have to just keep moving forward and be like, there's no way around okay, we, there's
2: no way around this. we got to do it. Here we go. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and then and maintain un, that confidence, un, like you said, Dave. Yeah, I mean, it's undeniably an uphill battle. I mean, from concept to development, and then you're going to make the movie three times when you write it, when you shoot it, and when you edit it. Um, and, and then, you know, let's be honest when it, the score is applied to it, that's when it really is starting mm-hmm. to come together. And um, when you and, and then
0: yeah, and marketing too. Well, no, it's
2: Well, yeah. The, and the marketing at this point is tied into, you know, the, the very development of the, of the, the, uh, the project. Um, so going through all of this, you're now at that point where the movie is going to now be seen by the public and literally art becomes art once it's experienced. Right. Mm-hmm. So like mm-hmm. For you, Dave, in in regards to looking at Hills Run Red and and all of the ideas that you guys brought to bear, as fucked up as they are, which I love, um, <laughs> were you were what were your thoughts and feelings, um, you know, with the audience response uh, when the when the film was first released?
3: Um, in person, when I got to see it in theater with with an audience. Yeah. It was really it was really exciting because they were reacting, they were laughing, they were screaming, they were growing, they were like covering their eyes and, you know, all the stuff that you want to see when it, what's what's very difficult is when it comes out and you are just sitting at home. And part of the thing that I've honestly really learned to do is not at least I need to get a little distance from the movie in me. Right. So, so I don't. Yeah. I I don't look at reviews, and I try not to for about six months. It because it bothered me a lot on on the first film. The reviews mm. were not good. Mm. Um, there've been some really nasty reviews on everything that I've done. There was some really nasty reviews of Hills. Um, it's it's a damn if you do damn if you don't think oh it's overhyped you know it was this it was that everyone said it was the second coming and it's not and it's like well I have no control of how the press is going to spin something I'm just making the movie but um. and then now when you look back at it, it the stuff you know to me it's like take criticism for what it is and apply apply those things to the next thing to me it's always yeah. about learn it's all about learning yeah. and the thing is now look we're we're in a we and we've been since the 90s now where well, we're in an era that people directors filmmakers rarely get the chance to grow i mean if you look at like cronenberg's movies was scanners the first time he was really taken like really taken notice, especially in the States, really like on a, on a, on a bigger level in horror, that was what his fifth movie, mm-hmm. you know, not everyone, yeah. you know, I, I look at, and look at, you get, you get Romero and he gets Night of the living dead. And then he is cursed for the rest of his career <laughs> with that movie, his first movie, mm-hmm. which he's probably looking at and going, well, I would do that different. I don't have, that's not so hot and that's not yeah. great, you know, but, um, you know now it seems like you have you have this one shot and if you're not now if your film doesn't open theatrically and make a billion dollars or used to when people could go to the theaters um that's why the wretched is such a cool story you know here's this movie that i believe was around a million dollar budget or something and now it's made its money back just through yeah. drive-ins and i think they said just through drive-ins it's made a million that's not even it's the, incredible the the you know video-on-demand rentals and everything else that it's probably had as well, um, yeah. that's pretty yeah. cool. But you know what? I think all of us here can sit here and attest. Do you know how hard it is to get a million dollars for a, a yeah. budget now?
0: well the, yeah. I, right? and, they, and it took <laughs> them about three or four years to get that movie made and out. Because mm-hmm. I, I was talking to Brett. Uh, Sean, you were, I'm sure, too, that long ago. I think 2016, 2017, he was still shooting stuff. Uh, yeah, I actually, I, I actually, okay.
2: yeah, I actually I haven't talked to Brett I think since uh, Deadheads was released and uh, I, I believe it believe it premiered at Screamfest um, yeah, so many years 20, ago at this 20, point yeah or 13 yeah
0: 2012. yeah
2: it's been it's it's been some time so I think that's kind of around the, around the last time I talked to those guys so it was oh, you know it was really? a, a, yeah it was a pleasant surprise for me to find out that. You know, while we're supposed to be like the authority at horror, it does not mean I know everything that's going on far from oh, it. Yeah. So yeah. they're like, there's this movie called The Wretched and Drive-Ins. And I'm like, well, that's cool. Who made this movie? And I was like, oh, the the, the Pierce Brothers. And I was like, oh, oh, like the Deadhead Pierce Brothers? I'm like, that's super great. You know, yeah. so it's been, totally you know, it's different. Been, yeah, it's been su- super exciting for me to see, though I haven't seen the film yet. I, I need to go to Mission Tiki Drive-In, apparently, and check this thing out. Yeah, let's go. But uh you. Yeah, like, you know, but I mean, I look, at, I think it's great, you know, so I don't know. I mean, what can I say? It's 2020 <laughs> like any any uh, story of success during these challenging times um, for independent it's, filmmakers it's awesome. is amazing.
3: Yeah. And the yeah. fact that it's a horror movie that did it once again is really for uh, for me. It's it's uh, it's very encouraging.
0: Yeah,
1: for sure. Yeah. yeah.
0: And it's it's hard to find that. We all, we always strive and maybe get a little bit of a a, a, a what is it a writer's block when you're trying to figure out that special idea you try, you want to write something that isn't that doesn't ha, it doesn't require a lot of money and what is that special idea that's going to really make it work and, and stand out um, do, do you feel that way, uh, Dave? I uh, do, you, uh, do. You do a lot of writing. I'm not sure if you if you do. You you do sometimes, right?
3: I I dabble. I I wouldn't yeah. say I'm I'm the most disciplined writer. I mean, I've talked to Matt a lot and Sean a lot about writing and ideas and stuff yeah. like that. And I'm envious because Matt's one of these fuckers who are like, oh yeah, we wrote the script in you know five days and like fuck, uh, yeah, that's
1: one example. No, I
2: mean, yeah, no. I uh, Matt, Matt Matt does that. Matt does that. That's this yeah, is very I'll, true. He's gonna downplay it.
3: But but I'll say this. I think I think but that's to my detriment because um the bad part of this industry and and it's one of the few bad things about being in this group in the circle of really talented people and everything and seeing what everyone's doing is I have tended to and people will find it funny when they go, Well, it sure doesn't look like it in your movies, but um i really tend to overthink like Mm. oh is this the right idea is this what i should be doing now what you know Mm. it's very hard if you're you're trying to direct the path of your career because Mm. you never know what's going to connect and what's not going to connect with money. you just don't know you might be into it and people might go i don't give a shit about this who cares so i think i think it's more important to in some ways do than overthink it it's like get it out and then at least you got it then it's there you can look at it and then you can decide but i think the fans can decide yeah i think that i think the but even just in the writing aspect of i think the thing that slowed me down is that you know uh you know I think about not just the story, but I think about like, okay, well if this come if I get to make this and this comes out, what trajectory is it gonna put me on? Because Mm. everyone everyone Mm -hmm. gets so easily labeled as one type of even in the genre, they get labeled like I've had meetings like go, Oh, well, you're not right for this. You're you're a slasher movie guy. Mm, As if 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 now you're not just typecast being a horror director. Now you're typecast as being a subcategory horror director, and people in the genre think that's all you can do. Mm.
1: Yeah, yeah, and that's,
3: that, and that's kind of a mind blower. It's like, mm. um, okay,
1: so right, yeah, yeah. I, I I I have the same issue. I get hung up uh, on similar things, and especially like I, I think about, well, what is this? Where would this take me if I did this? But also, I just get hung up in. Beats of the. I mean, I will. I will. I, I. think my issue is I edit too much as I go, mm. and I want. I want to be like Larry Cohen. I want to have an idea, and just dump it, and then it's like, well, okay, it's pretty good. Let's yeah. go. You know, but uh, it's tough. Yeah, it's really he was tough. a ma- He was a master at
0: that. It's just like the, letting the brain just flow, and he, yeah. he, I think he told he would dictate everything to his secretary too. He did. He, he recorded yeah. it. Uh, he everything. Recorded, he oh, did, recorded he, it. He recorded okay. it,
3: and then she would type it out. And the thing was. But the one thing Larry Cohen was, was a master of the high concept. Yeah. Yeah. That guy just knew. He just, he just, could ta- he just, he knew a, a good concept. Yeah.
1: You know, he was like, here's yeah. this concept, everything else will follow. <laughs> and, that's, and, that, that's,
3: has- and that's so much of the stuff that, you know, you sort of chase now, because now, especially if you're a low budget film, I mean, there's a hundred low budget movies, horror movies coming out. Oh, it seems like almost every week. You know, yeah. of all different sizes and ranges and stuff like that. So it's like, well, f- how do you make yourself stand out from the pack? I will say this though: luckily, I do have people like Matt who are have been really generous with their time as as sounding boards, and and Sean too. We've all we've all talked about ideas and stuff like that and talked them out, and um, mm-hmm. it's yeah. that's that's helpful because the one thing is, uh, you know, there used to be this sense. Um, floating out there of competition between a lot of us and everything whether it was sort of status of budget level that you're working at or whatever to me uh, thankfully that's that honestly is kind of gone because it's just now it's like i just want to i just want to make stuff i just want to make stuff that i think is cool that has a, a quality level um to it um and the expectations like oh well i'm going to be in you know 4000 theaters and stuff like that is is less of an importance and less of a reality now so you know that that mm. you know when we got into this and we were inspired the way film was and the way filmmaking was and stuff was drastically different than it is right. now not the right. not the mechanics of it but you know so much of it in in yeah. the perception of of people and the business side of it is completely different now so mm-hmm. and shooting
0: on film you know back then I, I i probably worked on my first film in 1997 and that was one of the first like digital we shot on i didn't shoot i i was the sound guy but we did it on beta um oh, well. and so that was like the the changing of the guard and it's like you know now it's been 23 years or something since that happened but when when i was going to school and dave you too uh sean i'm sure uh, you, you you didn't go to film school, but. Um, Back then, all of all of us were in, involved in one one way, shape, or form. You, you, you kind of had Fox. that idea, yeah. It was like a film, and you had a. Fucking, so did you, Dave? So did you. <laughs> and you had a, you know, you had a film. You had to have a budget. and You had to have all the money in the world to make that film. And now we can shoot on anything, and and that's what, uh, and that's also but, kind well, of I a, mean, uh, you know,
3: but you learn, uh, you learn. Yes, all you need, you, you, what you need is a good
2: story that's what you need. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. Yeah, I mean, the, the proliferation of, of affordable tech that has allowed aspiring filmmakers to just go out and shoot stuff is amazing. Um, you know, that's certainly, the, the landscape has certainly changed because of that. Uh, but yeah. at, the same point, at the same point, I think the double-edged sword aspect of it is there's a lot of, um, you know, very green filmmakers out there that maybe haven't honed their skills to the level that they'd like yet. Um, but they are taking those early projects they made, and those are getting distributed. And since we're speaking about the horror genre itself, and yeah. uh, to Dave's point earlier, meaning that so many titles seem to be constantly being released, I think it's often hard to sift through that for people and find really good films, really good horror films, yeah. um, because you know, for every Exorcist, there's a, a million Exorcist knockoffs, um, yeah. and the list goes, the list goes on. I mean, I, I just think people need to keep shooting um, because that's what you do as an artist at the end of the day. And you know what what that end result is going to be. I think none of us know really. I mean we have an idea, hopefully, if we've you know uh, spent some time in pre-production and 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 whatnot, but at the end of the day, it could be drastically different <laughs> than what you intended. Um, I think I know. think
3: a lot of things too, I think I think, and maybe sometimes for the good yeah but i think i look i think uh especially in our social media age and everything that status has become more important than doing the work what status mm-hmm. are you at yeah and, which and, i you know, i really but, have
2: no yeah
3: but it's but it's it's made that kind of ugly um yeah well, well, I, 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 just,
2: I i agree yeah and i mean i have no interest in that um at, at this certainly at this point in my career and haven't for some time um you know, if anything that we've watched with COVID, I think a lot of people have reconnected. And I think a lot of people have had time to take some inventory in regards to what's really important to them. And, and you know, what were those things for, for all of us here, probably? And it was it was making art. It wasn't about, um, you know, having to do the press, the press cycle. It wasn't about having to be on the red carpet. It wasn't about all of these things. And, you know, we're able to, like, I think really kind of just um, simplify at this point. Um, and additionally, you know, there's also this weird thing to bring up, Dave, and you're know, talking about social media and, and just that film conversation, et cetera. And I think we've all seen this. There's like this um, conception out there that people that work in film also have a Maserati and live in Hollywood Hills behind a gate. Um, and <laughs> I can say that this is 99.9% not correct. Um, everybody... Works very very hard, uh, not only to get these movies made, which always seems an uphill battle, um, but just to even survive as a human being on the day the day to day. Everybody works, you know. When you know, I mean, Dave, when you're not directing, you're editing. Oh
3: yeah. You know, I mean, we uh, the did same all thing could be said
2: yeah. for for you know for uh, Matt. The same thing could be said for Chris. You know, who's produced a lot of movies, but I mean, Chris, like last year, I mean, you, how many? Per- you you were working like a crazy person. You were working like 20 hours a day. Yeah. And yeah. you weren't and, you know, every time I talked to you, you were so tired of uh, uh, what are you doing? You're like, oh, I'm working straight for the next six weeks, you know, Oh,
3: and I'm putting a book together and the two sequels. Too. And I'm putting it together <laughs> and
2: and two sequels. And also, Chris doesn't have a Maserati. So, you know, I mean, like, oh. I think it's it's one of those things <laughs> because where you stole um, it, Sean, you stole it. I, yes, I yeah. that's I did. He it still has know. the he still has the seat from it. That's what he's sitting on. Say <laughs>
3: this. I'll say this. <laughs> Taking Leonardo,
2: it all the way back, Matt. nice.
1: <laughs> hey, okay. I have a question not to completely change the subject, but the the movie poster within the movie, The Hill's Run Red poster, Con Cannon's poster. yeah, do you still have that, Dave? Do you have which, that poster?
3: Which Ooh. one? Do you mean the uh, is it hold on. Is it? Is it this see. one that you're talking about?
1: Wait, I can't see it. Pull it back a little bit. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, that I do. Sleeve. that's yeah. awesome. This is yeah. We
3: have a reverse cover on the Blu-ray, so you can have the original poster, or that's, you can have Kenan's, can the director within the movie, uh, his,
1: his poster art so for his. We can, poster poster now. Now. Yeah. Yeah. we can all have that poster now. Yeah. Because I love that. that. That was something I forgot about uh, watching rewatching the movie last night. Was
3: yeah, I have uh, that painting, and I had the what was the Italian? Yeah, that's cool. In its house too. Well, we we need to get
2: we need to get Dave to shoot that on like a really big negative, so we can take it to a, a poster yeah. printing facility and get like four by six foot French grand versions made of it. Oh, that was yeah. Just, yeah. I mean, that's really good. We can. I think yeah. I do have.
3: I think I do have the one. From the movie, that's I, be- cool. I believe I'm not exa- I'd have to look. I have all the all the posters that this artist, that, that this writer mm-hmm. and artist Stephen Romano, uh, 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 created 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 for uh, a project that he was doing that was uh, called Shock Express. Or, was it Shock Express or something? It's it's a it's an art book. Um, okay. We licensed, all, all like all the art in the movie. We licensed all those amazing. posters. So all the posters from uh, like. The um, apartments and everything, I still have. I still have those.
0: So when you're, 80, when you're eight, that's amazing. When you're 80 and they wheel you out to Fangoria 157, <laughs> uh, Decker. I mean, a uh, uh, Parker. Uh, they, that's what
2: De- you'll be signing, De- you know. Decker,
3: Decker will be wheeling me out. Yeah, Decker's gonna. be yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so,
2: know, okay, we'll I'm, we'll both be be wheeled out together there, Dave.
3: <laughs> so I'll be so like, who am I? What hills? What? <laughs> Hills, what?
0: <laughs> so uh, getting back into our, our conversation, we had to get Sean back in because he was a little frozen there. Sorry, everyone. Uh, uh, I, I kind of want get, to get into all of us uh, have had to survive in this industry uh, by doing many different jobs. Uh, let's discuss that a, a little more because how difficult is it to really you, – you come to Hollywood, you want to be a director or, or an actor and a director or whatever uh, – how do you survive if you only do direct one movie a year, one movie every couple of years? Well, Dave, so let's we'll start with you.
3: Um I I learned how to edit. I learned another skill that I fell in love with. That I you know, I I I like directing the most and and doing movies, but I really do enjoy editing. I love putting things together and 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 creating moments and and effective scenes and everything else. So for me, for me, it was that. Uh, other people, it's obviously writing. We know a lot of people who just crank out and write scripts, and that's that's how they survive. I think it's different for everyone, so, you know. But you know, I was lucky to be able to find something that is still relatively needed because it's not like they always, you know, are in demand for directors that ha- are only making a, a movie every couple years, unfortunately, um, mm-hmm. because it does take a long time it is really tough The, uh, it's very competitive out there especially if you're going out for projects and and it's even harder when you're just trying to get a project off the ground so yeah for me for me it was uh it was editing
0: um yeah
3: and know, so for the, and, part,
0: and, yeah, for the most part yeah and matt and so how about you like how have you had to uh, gone through this world surviving
1: and you know
0: and what did you come to come yeah. to
1: la for you didn't grow up here i don't think Right? No, I moved, I moved here from New I went to acting school. I mean, where I am now is I'm exactly where Dave is, and I feel exactly the same way he does. I really love editing, and I do that as my job between projects. But I yeah. started, I went to acting school, and then right out of college, out of acting school, I went to New York. and Because it's kind of drilled into your head at most acting schools. I'm not so sure about now, but when I was in school, that you have to start in the theater. You have to go to New York first. And okay. I grew up. I grew up a huge fan of genre films and knew I wanted to end up doing that. But I, I guess, uh, and I, and, and at that time thought I just wanted to act, you know, that's mm. it. That's what I got into. And, uh, but I, I, you get, it's really drilled in your head. And if you have a, a lack of confidence like I did back then and still sometimes struggle with, you sort of just believe things people tell you and you, uh, and, and and so I was like, I have to go to New York. I have to start in the theater. So I went to New York, was there for four years, and then um, did had got my first acting role in a really small indie feature that was cast out of New York but shot in North Carolina. That film played in a festival out here in L.A., and I managed to get, like, a couple of meetings with agencies when I came out here for a festival. Oh, and my. one of the agents was interested, and I was like, you know what? Oh. Fuck it. I'm going out there. And then uh, nice. moved out here and – and it was like you know what, what happened to i was you know obviously staying in touch with what was happening in the horror scene and watching movies and, and i was like why am i not pursuing that full on like why am i not going after those auditions so i started doing that and then started getting stuff and uh and then started producing stuff and then <laughs> it, it's just a it's a domino effect i was right. acting horror movies and right. started seeing them and then realized oh i i should I want to, I always wanted to direct too. So it all, it all ruled out that way. And, and yeah, getting
0: yeah. on set and being in it is the main thing you have to, that's the way to learn. Even go yeah, to, go to you,
1: school, you're not going to learn as much, you know? No. And when you really have to, li- it really boils down to, you have to listen to it. Sometimes it's really hard to to listen, to listen to yourself and discover what it is you really want to do. That's that in itself can be a really hard thing. Yeah. And yes. I, I I one day was I don't remember exactly the scenario, but I was just sitting there and I was like, wait, what happened to I'm, you know, I was probably watching, you know, something I really enjoyed, like Halloween or, one, you know, some classic horror movie. And I was like, what happened to wanting to do just that? And th- that's what I really love. And so, mm. you know, pursued those auditions and I've done plenty of.
2: Bad horror movies. <laughs> yeah, yeah and some uh, some good ones. Yeah, yeah. And,
1: and some fun uh, yeah, ones. And some good ones. thank you. And Sean, I,
0: I um, that's oh it. go go ahead, Matt. Oh, okay. No, that's it. Uh, I'm just rambling. And so, Sean, <laughs> uh, uh, not a lot of people know all of the details. I mean, you've gone through a million careers. Of of, of, of you've been a model at some point. You've been a musician, you to a rock bring star. Yeah, that that's great. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I've seen uh, I've, I've seen the, the photo the, Calvin Klein the, photo
2: of the, you. Mid-90s were interesting. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, I mean, I think I, you know, I was always a, a storyteller. I was writing short stories and, and 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 really ridiculous novels, you know, even as a preteen um, and a teenager. And, um, you know, I had gone to UCLA for journalism for a bit because um, I was interested. And around 97, um, I had a, a website where I was, you know, kind of writing horror news. But, you know, it, I was very green and uh joe senna who now runs a fourth castle the fourth castle brand and does mc toys and a bunch of things but at the time he worked for creation entertainment which was the uh the company that put on all the fangoria weekend of horrors oh, yeah. um con- conventions and joe had reached out to me and he said you know he's like hey he's like i i see that you're writing this you know this news stuff on your on your little website i was like, thanks joe you know didn't know him he's like i've got this thing called dungeon of darkness um you know, I got more traffic than you. Would you care to come write for me? It's like, it may turn into something else. Um, so sure. I mean, I was writing it anyway. Right. Um, yeah. and it was cool to meet somebody else. that was, you know, a like-minded horror nerd essentially. Right. Um, and essentially within three months, uh, that turned into um, a news editor position and, and staff writer at horror online for universal studios. Um, mm-hmm. uh, Joe had, had, uh, had started that there, which, that website was kind of the progenitor of, of, you know, all the, the stuff that we've seen since to a large extent, whether that be, yeah. you know uh, you know, fangoria.com or bloody disgusting or dread central or whatnot. So I was really, really, really lucky um, to be able to just cut my teeth and, and be um, shepherded there by some really, uh, you know, um, caring and, and astute people because I was, you know, I was just a newbie literally. I think my first interview, I think my first interview was with like Sarah Michelle Gellar and I was like, oh my God, it's Buffy. Oh, wow. What do I do? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah,
1: that way to throw you. Right and then, and, <laughs> you
2: oh yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, it was like the four seasons, you know, the whole press junket deal, you know how it goes. Um, yeah. And then she had her, she had her assistant like send a, dozen red roses to the universal office the next day. So everybody thought there was something going on with me and Buffy, which I oh, thought was hilarious. <laughs>
0: yeah. I was like,
2: like, I mean, I wish that, I wish the story ended better. Like I could say, yes, it, it was, but no, it wasn't. Um, but no, I, I mean, I worked there for about five years um, mm-hmm. until there was a, you know, a buyout. The um, had caught came in and bought Seagram's, which owned universal. And they didn't really understand the new media department at the time, meaning the internet. Um, so I was fortunate enough to go, uh, you know, work with uh, Tony Tampone and Michael Gingold at Fangoria mm-hmm. for about seven years and then Dread Central for another 10. Um, so, you know, essentially throughout all of that, you know, being a journalist and like I, I, I got, you know, I was really inspired by what Dave was saying earlier um, in in the sense that while he was doing all the the EPK work on these big budget films that he was able to, you know, witness how those those productions went down. Um, so being a, a journalist that has been lucky enough to travel um, to film set to film set around the world, whether that be, you know, tiny little movies like Wicked Lake, uh, you know, to Dave's point or, you know, Godzilla, um, you know, you, you learn a lot. And, it, you know, I, I always always had a love for film, like to Matt Mercer's point, you know, Halloween blew me away as a kid. Um, we certainly all talk, talked about that in Chris's book. Yeah, and uh, you know, and 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 so you know, it's I've I've been lucky enough to you know produce some movies that are you know, neither maybe here or there or somewhere in the middle, (laughs) um, and also do some but they're out there, but they're out there, and I'll and also do you know some some work with some great people though on some other projects as well that I'm proud of, and and you know, to Dave's point, it's about the art, you know, and I think it's about the journey, and it's the projects are great, but I think it's the relationships that you make during those projects um, and those friendships that you make. I mean, I think all everybody here in this room met because of film. Like every all four of us on this podcast met because of film, and yep. because our share of our shared interest in film. I um, mean, yeah, that was all years amazing. ago. So, so it's love. I mean, I think for me, I mean, I think that's that's the uh, the reward, isn't it? Yeah, doing yeah. The, the, yeah the doing
3: journey. the work, doing the work. There's for me, it's like uh, there's there's nothing better than being on set mm-hmm. right you know yeah. i i love yeah. it i love the energy of it you know I, you know as long as you're doing something visiting someone else's set it's like hour two hours at tops and yeah, then you're it's just like, in the way uh, well <laughs> yeah you're just like right. at, uh, trying to stay out of the way yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah
3: but um but still then you get to watch some fascinating things go down and yeah uh, which is very cool too
2: so dave i know this is One of the things that we covered on the exhaustive and hopefully highly entertaining uh, extras um, on the Hills Run Red Blu-ray, which is coming out this Tuesday.
0: Uh, um, And and I'm going to be watching
2: that. Yeah, that thing, which I'm going to be watching tonight because, again, you were kind enough to deliver a copy over to me pre-release. Um, but we did touch on this in, in one of our interviews. And the question was, are we ever going to see possibly a, a sequel to Hills Run Red? Because again, this film has got a, a cult following, um, Babyface is a, a really popular character. Um, and you know, it's something I'm certainly interested in. Uh,
3: yeah, we did. We did talk about it a little bit, uh, in the extras, um, it doesn't seem like a likelihood for a number of reasons. Uh, Warner Premiere doesn't exist anymore in the Warner Brothers division. It's it's now something else. Uh, Dark Castle and Silver Pictures is no longer affiliated with Warner Brothers. So mm-hmm. I really don't know. I assume Warner Brothers in some form has the rights to the movie. Right. Now I know they don't plan on doing anything with it, but. I think it's probably rare that they would just sell off a property like oh. that. Um, it's probably not unheard of, but um, it, it's I, you know I wouldn't know. I mean, if they got, you know several hundred thousand people all blasting them asking for it, then maybe they probably go, what is this movie? Do we own this? <laughs> yeah,
2: uh, this is, no, you know. yeah, exactly. Is that it, know, in so, our
3: catalog? So I don't know. I mean, you know, Scow and I have talked about it a little bit before. And I think now, because so much time has gone on, we're just really happy that we're having the opportunity for people to <laughs> see the movie again, see it in in the in the sort of best light, hear all the stories that we have and everything. And, you know, our position is like, well, we're we're still around. We could come up with something else. No, look, I love the babyface character. And I know Scout says he always had a plan on where he would take it. I never really had a concrete one of what to do. Um I wouldn't be I wouldn't be opposed to it, but I I just think that it's like, well, I can do a different slasher movie. If that if yeah. that's if that if, you know that I wanna do all different kinds of genre movies, so i I'd, yeah. I'd certainly be open to it, but I think it's I think it's a it's more of a complicated business thing um hmm. to start with right and you know yeah. and, and and the other question that always keeps coming up is is this the quote-unquote director's cut which we do address in there and i don't want to turn anyone off look hmm. what i'll and this is not self-depreciating if you if you don't like the movie the chances are you'll like the extras because it really does go through the 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 steps of making a low budget movie the good and mm-hmm. and the bad it's pretty it's pretty transparent that way yeah um, was that
1: always the plan to make them that detailed or did you go in and you were like wow we're just talking here and we're getting a lot of great stuff like was the plan to be that as sean put it exhaustive because i love that detail well you know i rob and i were kind of known for that i mean yes yeah. the yeah. superman
3: returns documentary was three uh, almost four hours long we right. it's it's like at a certain at a certain point when it just becomes space on a disk if you have the time and we did all these extras while in quarantine you know we created them yeah you know, all all in quarantine so for us it was like well we have all this stuff why not use it and then i've sure. been rele- and then the stuff that we didn't use i've been releasing is just like little snippets on like facebook
2: like yeah little, that's been fun little, yeah. Little, yeah, yeah yeah little
3: spare parts things that just didn't fit for one reason or another um but we explained uh, you know so the i'll just say the cut of the movie is the cut that was released it's the r-rated cut yeah we we go into detail on why it's not the director's cut and and what was cut out and <clears throat> uh you will see certain things that were were edited out um But I will say this, the reason that it's not even been a discussion of the director's cut, and I know I've read some comments where it's like, there's no reason not to release it. Well, there is. The director, the quote unquote director's cut was never finished. Mm -hmm. It exists exists as an output from a a low res version of the Avid. Mm -hmm. So it was never conformed. It was never mixed. It was never color timed. Yep. It was never finished in that sense. It was never scored. No
0: music, yeah,
3: it's not right. scored. So it would cost tens of thousands of dollars, if not you know, potentially more,
0: mm-hmm.
3: to finish that version. And for Warner Brothers, for a title that's eleven years old, that isn't you know a massive big title. It makes n- the, the the spending of the money would it, make no. Make no sense, and Screen Factory certainly doesn't have the money. Same for them, to, yeah. To spend that kind of money. Well,
2: no, I mean it. It absolutely it it absolutely comes down to, you know, somebody crunching the numbers, um, and often times those people that are crunching the numbers are not really aware of a fan base of a film, uh, you know, an older film that they may have in their catalog. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they don't. They're 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 not like they they don't have any personal attachment to say, oh well, you know, I, this thing should still be done they're just going to look at the numbers and say well you know maybe only this amount of physical copies are going to move and we don't know how this is going to do on vod so we don't know if we can really justify the amount of money it's going to cost to go ahead and take this missing footage chris knows what i'm talking about and maybe put this back into this film from 1988 mm-hmm. or 1989 mm-hmm. um, and 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 re-release it even though the fans really want it and even though the people behind that movie might really want this to happen too so yeah. things you know it, it's an up, it's an uphill battle at the end of the day and i think i'm you yeah, know you have sometimes to yeah have and sometimes fan, yeah sometimes fans you know um don't I think they don't take that into consideration. They're just like, well, we yeah. want this stuff we and it exists, it. So, right. so why can't we have it? Yeah, um, yeah, it's just, and, like, and the I, answer, I guess the, they, yeah. yeah, you just gotta right. hit a button, right? You just hit a I, button. Well, I just,
3: I just think <laughs> probably probably the way it's been expressed in other interviews and stuff, yeah, we cut ten minutes out and stuff like that, but they don't figure out all the processes of post that you have to do to actually have a movie finished. Yeah. and it's not like yeah. I, they can just give me the footage and I can finish it at home. It doesn't, yeah, I mean, to, it doesn't do work you know? that way.
1: Yeah. Do you know the, where the elements are or if they even exist? The... Oh,
3: yeah, it's in a vault. It's in, in, it's in the Warner Brothers vault. Okay. So you Some... know that it's
1: there. Okay. So, it's,
3: yeah. it, I mean, yeah, it's somewhere mm-hmm. there and everything. But, again, I think, the, look, you know, but that's another reason why we put so much extra effort with the bonus features. I don't think anyone's going to feel cheated when they're getting an 81-minute ah. movie. An 81-minute movie, and they're six and a half hours. Of- no, they're they're no. Not. they're going to they're going to
2: they're going to be really happy about it. And and you know to to speak to the the, the director's cut also, you know, and, and that that lost quote-unquote footage that everybody talks about. Mm-hmm. Um, we touched on this for a second, Dave and Dave and I. Um, just in regards to like how ironic it is that that the Hills Run Red, Red Undo itself is about is so meta in that it's about. People trying to find a lost movie, and now we're yeah. re releasing a movie about people trying to find a lost movie who are trying to find a lost movie within that movie. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah really.
0: and, and this is this is great that we all because this is one of the main conversations I wanted to have with you. Um, so uh, instead of touching upon what we just talked about, uh, I want to discuss, uh, and you probably discussed this on the Blu ray, but give me a little generalized idea of okay. of why what your vision because i i remember telling you a couple of years ago going you know i had i had a, an issue here and here and that kind of uh, just uh, rubbed me the wrong way and do you, uh, why why is that and you said oh okay you know and i don't remember the conversation it was mostly about uh, the the drug scene in the beginning of, oh. the, of you know of the girl and her rehab and it was like yeah. 30 30 seconds and okay she's rehabbed and i was like oh okay so what tell me about that a little bit and and because you shot a lot more, right? Of uh, the rehab? Yeah,
3: yeah. No, because it was always designed to be a montage. Okay. Okay.
2: Nobody wants to watch somebody throw up for seven days straight, Chris. Okay. That's a long movie. I, I, no,
3: I, no. Or she we, could. We, you know, whatever. We talk. We talk. Uh, Scout and I talk about it. Uh huh. Um, I sh- I should have added a line in there, but I will say this, and what I'm going to say right now is a spoiler for anyone who hasn't seen the movie. Skip this part for a minute or put me on mute. I'll give a thumbs up when I'm done. Okay. <laughs> so starting right now, mute it if you don't want to have this spoiled. She's acting. She's an actress. hmm She okay. is duping them the entire time. Ah, okay. Including okay. being a junkie. Yeah.
0: Okay. It's
3: all bullshit. So that's why that thing is short and sweet and the person trying to get her off drugs is a filmmaker and he is experiencing it through a cinematic montage. Okay. Right. And it was a little lost in translation.
0: Okay. Mm. Okay. <laughs> there you go. That was <laughs> a great,
2: no, that, that was a great explanation. I love that.
0: Yeah. 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 And uh, and otherwise, like, I, you know, I've always loved the film. It was just because, you know why? Because I, unfortunately, like, some, somebody I lived with was a junkie for about six months. And I had to, you know, kind of help them get through it and all that. And so anytime, you know, back then when I was watching movies and I saw something like that, I'd be like, oh, well, that was like, that was kind of quick. Why, what was that about? Sure. You know, why was that so quick? Or, you know, uh, or or seeing like the movie like Traffic. Uh, which I you know I could not stand that movie. But uh, you know, Hills Rider is fantastic. But either way, <laughs> it was just that it was just that moment uh, in, in that scene. And it was only 45 seconds.
2: Did 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 you also have a issue with uh, David Scows the Crow in which uh, he he reforms a junkie just by touching her arms? No, that's no, supernatural, no problem. it's fine. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's you can explain insane. away anything with that.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. Um, and so uh, when when you guys were let's just uh, we'll start to wrap this up. Um, I one thing I want to ask you, I, I'm sure you were a, a William Sadler fan before this movie. Absolutely. Uh, what was the one movie or or maybe Tales from the Crypt or something that you saw that you were like, I have to have William Sadler for this movie.
3: Sadler. Uh, whew. I mean, I I loved uh, genre wise, I loved him in Demon Night, and I loved him in Bill and Ted. yeah. Um, uh, yeah. But I loved him in Trespass. Ah, okay. Uh, you know any of the Walter Hill movies that he's been in? I, I, I you know, I've been such a fan of. Uh, I, I loved you know he's, Shawshank, you know.
0: Mm-hmm. So good. He, he,
3: he's so great in that. Um, I don't know. I don't know why I got it in my head. Die Hard too. I don't know why I got it in my head, but it was like it was always. Yeah. Bill Sadler for me. He was my. He was my first choice. We had others back as backup and stuff like that but luckily because he had been in a bunch of joel silver movies mm. um you know it was not a difficult thing it
0: was so, easy for him to say yes
3: yeah because you know it was easy for more probably more poorly it was easy for joel to say yes because he liked him
0: yeah right right, right. so
3: so <clears> but <throat> i always i oh for i did you know that's the thing I didn't uh, Jeffrey Combs had just reprised his role for return to house on haunted Hill. Mm -hmm. So I, as much as I love Jeff as an actor, I I didn't, I didn't want to go the, the just horror brand name actor as, as good as so many of those actors are. I, I, I didn't want that and I didn't get to choose all the cast, but he was definitely
0: one that I did. And yeah. So that's why, yeah, yeah. I mean, we, we've all kind of heard stories of J- of Joel Silver and all that. I I remember going back, uh, uh, dropping off something to his office as a PA one time back when he was on Warner Brothers lot. Yep. And uh, this was before the Fangoria conventions that I had gone to, or anything that was like you know make it like Monster Palooza, where they had re- you know they have full size you know monsters and stuff. Walking into his office and in a the glass predator. case. There's a fucking predator right there. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm inside this office. He had, he had the Predator. He had the Crypt Keeper
3: and a, uh, a pinball. Was it, what pinball machine was it? Was It It was something crazy. I don't know if it was a Tales from the Crypt one or if it was like a, wow. a Die diehard die one. I forget. Ooh. He had a You know. Yeah. He and I only look, to be honest, I only got to meet Joel a couple times. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was very nice he was very complimentary Uh, i mean we were such small potatoes to him Uh, but to me but to me it was like this is the guy who gave us the warrior helped give us the warriors and gave gave us streets of fire and you know all you know die hard all these
0: incredible movies
3: he was one he was you know i think is it bruckheimer now would be you know as a, a producer a producer alone one of the last sort of name producers that you recognize now.
1: Yeah. Brooklyn, um, maybe, maybe I mean,
3: and, and Kevin Feige, of course. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, it's like, but Joel Silver was like, the, it, you know, it was like working with the, I mean, guy was oh, a legend.
0: Yeah. 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 Legend. Uh, yeah. I didn't get to go in all the way into the offices. Those the tells the, the crib keeper must've been a little oh, further it, in or something.
3: And <laughs> it was great. Cause everyone in their office had these sh- very large framed, shadow boxes from their movies so like it would be like here's one from house of wax and there would be props from house of wax and the the killer's uh, wax face in there or 13 oh, cool. go 13 ghosts had you know they were all different but it was yeah it was it's was a very neat place Amazing. yeah yeah back back
0: back in the day yeah uh, all right so guys let's uh let's wrap this up uh i want to thank uh Matt Mercer, Sean Decker and Dave Parker, uh, and please, everyone, make sure to check out The Hills Run Red. Run it comes out Red. Tuesday, on uh, Tuesday, June sixteenth, uh, just in a few days, yeah. and um, and and I'm sure, hopefully, I get to see you guys soon, as soon as uh, we all don't have COVID nineteen anymore. <laughs> in about two years, we're getting beers. And Great. Matt,
3: and Matt, quickly. Where should yeah. people, who should people write to you to get Dementia Part Ooh. 2 released? Do they, Part start, two. do
1: they have to start, do no. they have
3: to start lighting Scream Factory now?
1: Yeah, I've start lighting up uh, Scream Factory and Severin. A- a- any of those genre labels, just hit them up and say, hey, you should look at the Dementia 2 again. I mean, a couple of them, I wonder if they've even watched it. Or hit up Boulder Light Pictures, our producers. Oh,
3: now, what are you guys waiting on? Come on. <laughs> well,
1: <laughs> they've no, got seriously, big, like, release that movie. Another big driving <laughs> hit. What's that?
2: Release the movie just release it for god's
1: sake yeah there's there's (laughs) someone there's someone looking at it now someone new looking at it now just as as of this week but um man it's been a process but those guys are also pretty inundated right now because they just had a seems like becky is doing pretty well oh yeah oh yeah 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 it's great. great
2: awesome
1: yeah
0: All right, cool. Well, guys, thank you all, and I will see you soon. Thanks. Thanks, guys. Thank you very much. Thank you all for listening to My Favorite Horror Movie. Please subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, and catch our videos on YouTube. All of those links and ways to pick up our books are at myfavoritehorrormovie.com. My Favorite Horror Movie is a Black Vortex Cinema production. Thank you all, and we'll see you soon, evil ones.